Hi everybody, my name is Paul O'Halloran. I'm a partner here at um, Denton's and um, very pleased to be joined by my colleague, Peter Watkins Associate. How are you, Peter? Very well, thanks, Paul. How are you going? I'm going really good. And uh, like everybody, I'm sure looking forward to the end of what's been a really, really busy year. 26, 25 days till Christmas, I think somebody said to me uh, the other day. And, and that also means this is our second last um, webinar for the year. Um, and we're going to talk about a really important topic, which is um, fixed term contracts. So uh, on the 7th of December 2022, the Secure Jobs Better Pay Act was passed. And um, amongst other things, uh, some of the reforms in there relate to fixed term contracts. So before we get into the detail of that, um, we'll just have a welcome to country message for you first. Nangamalari, I'm Auntie Manya, and on behalf of Denton's. Whoops. And everyone here today, I would like to recognise the stories, traditions, and living cultures of the land on which we meet. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land and their continued connections to land, sea and community. And we pay our respects to elders past and present. Nangaman Ladi. Great. So um, just in terms of what we're going to cover, uh, what Pete and I are going to cover today, um, what, what is a fixed term contract and why have these changes been introduced by the government? What are the limitations on fixed term contracts? Uh, the exceptions to those limitations, if you're a business that as many ha have, have fixed term contracts, what will occur if uh, these new rules are breached? Anti-avoidance provisions, dispute resolution um, forums, if there's disagreement about fixed term contracts, uh, the interactions between the changes and casual employment and um, some final takeaway tips. So I guess with that, uh, many of you will know that um, the Secure Jobs Better Pay uh, amendments to the Fair Work Act uh, were passed uh, recently. And there's, there's another tranche of legislation, a third tranche of Fair Work legislation currently um, before a Senate inquiry that is what's called the Closing the Loopholes legislation. And that is where the government saved the best for last, really, with the most significant and controversial changes to our workplace uh, legislation. Uh, so we will be talking more about the secure uh, of the closing the loopholes legislation as we get closer uh, to February and understanding what's going to be passed or possibly won't be passed. Um, but you can see here on the slide a visual representation that summarises some of the changes made by the Secure Jobs Better Pay legislation and the fixed term contract changes that we're going to talk about is one area of reform. So as a, as a reminder of what's being covered by the Secure Jobs Better Pay amendments to the Fair Work Act, um, things you've probably heard before, things that we've spoken about before, but uh, just a bit of a reminder, prohibitions on pay secrecy, this means that pay secrecy clauses in employment contracts will be of no effect 
and there con can be contraventions uh, of the legislation uh, if contracts are, employment contracts are entered into with pay secrecy provisions. Sunsetting of zombie agreements. So if you have zombies in your workplace, uh, then the official sunsetting date for those agreements is 7th of December, which is, I think, end of pretty much end of next week. So unless an application has been made to the Fair Work Commission to extend those, um, then they will um, be rendered of no effect. New uh, protected attributes have been included in the Fair Work Act that provide workplace rights around um, breastfeeding, intersex status and gender identity. So there'll be new workplace rights uh, and grounds upon which employees cannot be discriminated. Prohibition on sexual harassment has been introduced into the Fair Work Act and uh, we've done a few presentations on that one. And of course, changes to multi-employer bargaining under the Fair Work Act using the single interest supported and cooperative bargaining streams. We've also seen uh, new powers to the Fair Work Act to arbitrate flexible work arrangements and some case law recently around um, requests to work from home, which have been denied by the Fair Work Commission, in particular where the request to work from home has essentially been a permanent 100% request to work from home. Changes to the bargaining approval process and uh, an expansion of the small claims jurisdiction in the Fair Work Commission from 20,000 uh, claims of 20,000 up to 100,000. Uh, so moving on to what is a fixed term contract and why are these changes being introduced? Well, there's some statistics on the slide which are quite interesting about um, the use of fixed term contracts in the Australian economy. Uh, which you can see there for yourself, but also some interesting um, points, I think, from Tony Burke's second reading speech, which reveals that uh, in the government's view, job security has many faces. The government sees fixed term contracts, along with casual employment, the gig economy, and in some respects, labour hire as a form of insecure employment and um, a lot of these amendments are aimed at addressing alleged insecure employment. Recent, st recent statistics from the Australian Bureau of Statistics reveal that in August 2022, 3.4% of employees were employed on a fixed term contract. That's about 390,000 employees in the economy. 76 people uh, were working on a contract with a total uh, term length of one year or less. 68% were working on a contract of nine months or less. The industries with the highest uh, fixed term contracts were education, uh, which was 11%, IT, 8%, and public sector, 7%. So, um, Pete, what is a fixed term contract and, and what are the, the, the different types? Yeah, thanks, Paul. So a fixed term contract is a contract that will terminate at the end of an identifiable period. And under a fixed term contract, um, the parties to that contract, the employee and the employer will not have a general right to terminate that contract by way of notice. 
So for example, if we're using today's date and you enter into a six month contract on the 29th of November, that would then expire on the 28th of May, 2024. So under a fixed term contract, this nature, there would be no mutual right to um, terminate this contract with notice as would ordinarily be the case with a contract of employment. So if, if you're an employer and you do um, terminate a fixed term contract earlier, you may be liable for breach of contract and the remaining balance of that contract. S similar but not quite the same is a maximum term contract, which is um, sometimes also called an outer limits contract. Now, this is very similar to a fixed term contract, but with one key difference, and that is that a maximum term contract can be terminated by way of notice. So once again, using our same example, if you enter into a six month contract today, that may terminate on the 28th of May, but the parties could also bring that to an end earlier if they want to with, for example, one month's notice. So under a maximum term contract, that end date is the longest that contract will be in force, um, but that does not have to be the date that that ends. So the changes we're about to discuss now are one of the many changes um, introduced by the Labor government in the Secure Jobs Better Pay Act. Um, as Paul summarised before, um, some of the headline changes under this bill were about multi-employer bargaining, substantial changes to single enterprise bargaining, uh, zombie agreements sun sunsetting and greater access to flexible work arrangements. The Act was passed last year and the fixed term contracts are now the final change to commence under the Act. The purpose of the changes is clear, and that is to see less fixed term contracts. They're seen as a form of insecure work, and the target is to see more employees employed on a permanent basis. So for the purposes of the changes we are about to discuss, a fixed term contract is defined to include a fixed term contract, whether or not that can be um, terminated earlier by way of notice. So all of these limitations will apply to both fixed term contracts and maximum term contracts. Mm, it's interesting because we certainly know there are some sectors that rely very, very heavily on fixed term contracts. I mean, I know somebody in the higher education sector that's been on a fixed term contract since 1975. So um, it doesn't necessarily imply that it doesn't work for that person, but um, these are going to be fairly substantial changes for, for certain sectors, I think. I should say too, we obviously have a Q&A uh, questions um, tab. Uh, feel free to submit your questions. If we don't get time to answer them or we don't answer your specific question, um, we'll most likely send you an email with the answer sometime tomorrow. Um, so in terms of the limitations on fixed term contracts, um, there will be some limitations that apply. Pete, what what are these limitations and um, what do employers need to be aware of? Yeah, so broadly there are three limitations against fixed term contracts. Um, each of them has their own complexity and each also has um, separate elements and many of which are not defined at this stage. And it, it should be noted from the outset that whilst these are the limitations, there are also a series of exceptions which we will um, which we will discuss later, which need to be kept in mind. So just because contract may not um, be allowed under these changes, you also need to consider the exceptions, which we will get to. So at a very high level, um, these limitations will be contravened in the following circumstances. If an employer enters into a contract of employment with an employee, that contract of employment has an identifiable period, um, it says it will end at the end of an identifiable period, 
whether or not it can be terminated by notice earlier. So that means it will apply to both fixed term contracts and maximum term contracts. Um, the casual is not a casual employee and we will discuss um, what that means later. And the contract is either for more than two years, a renewable contract or a consecutive contract. And each of these contracts are defined in the act in quite some detail. The diagram you can see on the slide is um, our most succinct exposition of the changes. Um, unfortunately, it does not include all of the detail and perhaps thankfully, because that wouldn't be the most uh, visually appealing slide if it did. Um, but starting with the left, the first type of contract and arguably the simplest change is um, a time limitation on a fixed term contract. So under this change, a fixed term contract will fall foul of these provisions if the identifiable contract is the identifiable period of the contract is more than two years. So for example, if someone's employed after 6 December on a three-year contract and there is no exception that applies, this will constitute a breach of the limitation. It is worth noting that if someone has entered into a fixed term contract um, before these changes commenced, so for example, a five-year contract, um, this will not be captured by the limitations. However, this can be um, considered in whether a subsequent fixed term contract may breach the limitations. The second category is the category in the middle, and that is about renewable contracts. There's a limitation on renewable contracts, and there are two ways which this limitation can be breached. So the first is where the sum of the identifiable period and any other period which the contract can be renewed or extended is greater than two years. So for example, if someone's employed on a 1.5 year contract and that contract has a right to renew, which is exercised, this will result in the contract running for a period of three years, which will exceed that two year limit. The second type of contract which is prohibited is one where there is an option to renew or extend that contract more than once. And when you break that down, what this means is there is broadly a prohibition on having more than, sorry, is prohibition on having three fixed term contracts in a row. So it would be possible to breach this prohibition on renewable contracts, even if the period was less than two years. So if you have an employee who is employed on a five month fixed term contract, which is then extended for four months, and then finally extended for another five months, um, that final contract will breach the prohibitions because you cannot extend or renew the contract more than once. Therefore, uh, under the renewable contracts, um, a contract cannot be extended more than, sorry, cannot be longer than two years when you add up all of the other fixed term contracts and the contract cannot be renewed or extended more than once. The final category up on the slide um, is to do with consecutive contracts. And this is probably the most complex of the limitations. So. Under this change, a fixed term contract will be prohibited where a contract comes into effect after another contract and the following conditions are satisfied. So the first is that previous contract must also be a fixed term or a maximum term contract. The previous fixed term contract must be for the same or substantially similar work um, under the employment, which at this stage, the legislation hasn't told us what that means. However, there is similar language used in the, um, in the transfer of business provisions, which tells us that work will be the same or substantially similar um, where the nature or the character remains the same. And that's irrespective of whether some duties are changed slightly. There must be substantial continuity between the contracts. Um, so once again, this isn't defined in the act and this will be left to the commission and the courts to determine the parameters of what that means. Um, but as an idea, the explanatory memorandum has suggested that 
the idea is that um, little breaks in periods between contracts will not um, will not end the relationship and shouldn't break the continuity. So an example which is given is if you're on a teaching contract and that comes to an end at the end of a term and then you teach that next semester, um, that shouldn't break the continuity of service and also if an employee takes a short break for personal reasons. The limitations on consecutive contracts are very similar to the ones that we just discussed about the time limitation and the renewable limitation. So the prohibitions are if the sum of the previous contract and the current contract is being offered is greater than two years, this will breach the two-year rule and not be allowed. If the current contract has an option to renew or extend, this will also not be allowed because it would mean there would be three potential contracts, the first one, the current one being offered and a right to renew or extend. If the previous contract um, had an option to extend, which was exercised, because that would mean once again, there are three contracts your original contract, the extension, and the current one being offered. And finally, if the previous contract came into effect after a, another contract for the same or similar work, and then another contract was offered, because once again, that would be breaching the three-year rule. So I appreciate that's all a bit complicated. So I thought that may be useful to, um, <laughs> to just use a quick example to illustrate. Um, so let's use a shop assistant at Woolworths, for example. If this employee was on a fixed term contract from the, the 1st of January, 2022 until 31 December, 2022. If that contract had an option to extend, which was exercised, that would bring the end date to the 31st of December of 2023. If on the 1st of January, 2024, that employee signs a new contract, another fixed term contract for the shop assistant role, this further contract would breach the provisions for the following reasons. So the contract relates to the same position, so that's satisfied. There is substantial continuity between the contracts. The previous contract was extended, so we've got that three-contract that three contract prohibition coming into play there, and the total period of time is more than two years, which also breaches the two-year rule. So therefore, unless an exception applies, um, this arrangement would not be prohibited under the new changes. So we'll talk about the exceptions, and that was a really... I think you're the most specialised person in the world with um, the, these limitations at the moment based on your description just then. But I don't know about the 200 other people listening to this, but I find that really um, confusing when I'm trying to think of a particular scenario. So I guess what I would say, if um, you heard all of that, but you still don't understand whether your scenario fits into the uh, limitations, um, perhaps log a question or send us an email and um, we can get back to you because there's a lot of things at play there. Uh, likewise, I mean, hopefully, luckily, some people will will be exempt um, from from these. So there are three categories um, overall, I think, um, Pete, that prohibit a contract for being more than two years or being renewed more than once, but there are quite a few exceptions, many of which are undefined at present. Can you just run us through what we can see on the, the screen that represent those exceptions? Sure, and hopefully this is um, a bit more straightforward than the limitations. Um, but as you said, Paul, there are a lot of um, exceptions which are I will go through in there up there on the screen, including some that were introduced very recently. So the first one is where an employee is engaged um, to perform only a distinct and identifiable task involving specialized skills. 
Now, the, the wording of this is quite interesting to note in that they say um, task and not tasks, which implies um, this will only be, this will not be available if the employee is employed to perform a range of tasks. The Fair Work Ombudsman has helpfully given an example, and that is um, if you've got an employee who is employed as a sports coach for a professional sports club, and that is on a five-year contract, um, this may be allowed, even though this would otherwise normally breach the two-year rule. The second is a contract of employment um, in relation to a training arrangement of an employee under a state or territory law, quite a straightforward one. For example, you may have an apprentice who is employed on a three-year contract. Um, there is a contract for performing essential work during a peak demand period. So the explanatory memorandum suggests um, if you have a fruit picker who is engaged on multiple fixed-term contracts during a period of high demand, so if there's a two-month contract that can be extended twice um, subject to the harvest, this would normally breach that two-year contract, sorry, that two-contract rule because there are three potential contracts. However, if you can demonstrate it is essential work during a peak demand period, that will be exempt. The next is working in emergency circumstances for a temporary replacement. Um, so if you have an employee who is employed on an 18-month contract and then they're offered, say, a further 12-month contract to fill a position which is usually occupied by an employee who's on long service leave, for example. This second contract um, may be exempt on the basis that it is a temporary replacement. Um, perhaps one that will come up the most is where an employee earns more than the high income threshold. Um, currently, that's dollars $167,500. $167, this will be um, adjusted next year on the 1st of July, 2024. If there are part-time employees, um, the regulations have set out how this is to be worked out, but there is a pro rata relationship there. Similar to calculating the high income threshold for the unfair dismissal jurisdiction, um, working out this amount will not include payments which cannot be determined in advance. So for example, commission payments, overtime, um, reimbursements or compulsory superannuation contributions will also not be counted. It's really important for this one to make sure that the, this is properly set out in the employee's contract if the salary is above the high income threshold in the chance that an employer needs to argue that this exception applies. The next exception um, relates to work that is funded by the government either completely or partially for more than a period of two years. And this is the big point. Um, there are no reasonable prospects that that funding will be renewed at the end of the period. Um, it's interesting important to know that the funding has to be more than two years. So funding that is for a shorter period of time will not be captured. The onus to prove there were no reasonable prospects of the funding being renewed will rest with the employer. So an example may be if an employee um, is employed to create a community garden on a three-year fixed-term contract, and this position is fully funded over that three years by the local government, and it's clear that funding will come to an end, then this contract would be exempt. Uh, quite a straightforward one. We've got contracts for governance positions, which are for a, uh, a limited time based on the rules of the corporation or the association. So you may have a board member um, who's offered a five-year contract to be on the board of a charity, and this appointment is consistent with that, um, that company's rules. If a modern award permits a certain type of fixed-term arrangement, um, this will be exempt. So there are some modern awards that list um, certain, certain categories of fixed term contracts that will be permitted. For example, we've got the Education Services Teacher Award. 
which says an employee can be employed on a fixed term contract for a period of at least four weeks, but not more than 12 months on either a full-time or a part-time basis to undertake a specific task, which has a limited period of operation or other reasons. It's also possible under this limb that we may see um, applications to the commission to, to vary modern awards. So the commission has power to either take out some of these exceptions, or there may be arguments to include further exceptions in different modern awards. Um, the minister retains a general power under the regulations to prescribe further exemptions. And um, in fact, on the 23rd of November, just Thursday last week, we did actually see um, some, some regulations come in and these specify a range of contracts which are also exempt with some caveats. So these include organised sport, high performance sport, live performance industry employees and higher education employees. So, for example, under the sports exemption, using an interesting one, um, if an employee is um, employed to be an athlete in an organised sport and the employer is a governing body in the state or that territory, then this contract will be exempt. It's important to note that these, um, these exceptions that have been introduced by the regulations are restricted to time. Um, so any contracts that are exempt under these must be entered into after the 6th of December and before the 1st of July. And finally, just on the exemptions, there has also been another one added um, for, for, for funding um, for non-government funded philanthropic entities. The most important takeaway here is that an employer will bear the onus of proving that a particular exception applies um, if they are, if there is an allegation made that the fixed term contract prohibitions have been breached. And the explanatory memorandum has expressly noted that it will be best practice for employees um, to include sorry, for employers to include in the employment contract, um, which exception they are relying on and why they think that exception applies. So whilst this won't guarantee that any exception will be successful if you are arguing that as a defence, um, it has been suggested by the government that um, this will help employers in meeting that burden. Mm, interesting. Um, any idea? I mean, I guess the, the regulations can continue to be updated with various different um, exemptions and how that's determined, I don't quite know, but um, we've seen a few come through in the last week, as, as you've said, but um, be interesting to see if there's any more that slip through before um, 6th of December. Absolutely. Um, so I'm sort of, you know, unless you, there's a limitation or an exemption, I'm sort of looking at this thinking it's going to be really prescriptive and difficult to um, continue to hire people as, as fixed term employees. So why not just call them a casual and put them on a fixed term contract? I mean, uh, is, is that a possibility? Well, the government's obviously thought of that and um, they don't like people being casuals either. They don't like them being fixed term and they certainly don't like them being casual. So um, change is being considered uh, by parliament at the moment under the closing the loopholes, further amendments to the Fair Work Act, uh, do amend the definition of casual employee. So under those changes, it will be practically impossible to employ a casual employee on a fixed term contract, except in very limited circumstances. And what are the changes to the definition of a casual employee? Well, the 
closing the loopholes bill proposes to override the High Court decision in Rosato and WorkPAC, which you may remember from two years ago, uh, that decision concluded that a casual employment uh, arrangement is referable to the terms of the casual employment contract and excludes any sort of multifactorial test. So if the contract says you're a casual and you received a casual loading, you're a casual even if you worked 40 hours a week. Uh, changes to the Fair Work Act that are, haven't come into force yet but have been considered will reverse the High Court reasoning in that decision and will um, basically say that a casual employee is someone where there is an absence of a firm advance commitment to continuing an indefinite work and someone uh, is entitled to or receives a casual loading. So this test comes with it a whole lot of little sub-tests which are embedded in the proposed legislation that um, it really will be a nightmare for employers to try and work out. Um, it's things like uh, defining this uh, so-called absence of an advanced commitment by reference to a multifactorial test of relevant considerations. Employers will need to look at the quote, real substance, practical reality and true nature of the proposed uh, contractual engagement. Um, and there will continue to be existing obligations for employers to offer conversion to permanent employment um, after 12 months. So just in case you're thinking, it's probably easier just to, to call our current fixed term contractual cohorts casuals and deal with them that way. That's going to be possibly even more difficult, I think. So. Not, not lots of great news for everybody uh, in the lead up to Christmas in this area anyway, um, but those laws are proposed and we'll, we'll hear whether the reversal of the definition of a casual employee um, occurs uh, in February or March. There'll also be new definitions of employee and contractor as well, which are um, equally as convoluted and confusing. Um, okay, so moving on to what is the effect if these uh, uh, fixed term contracts are breached. Um, Pete, so assuming the limitations are breached and um, an exception does not apply uh, and employers just think, well, who's going to know? We'll just um, keep doing what we've always been doing. What, what would the effect be? Yeah, so if there is a fixed term contract that breaches these provisions um, and a limitation doesn't apply, the overall employment contract will remain valid, uh, but the clause that says the contract will terminate on a particular date, um, that will have no effect. So currently, um, before these changes came in, some of the effects of being employed on a fixed term contract is that an employee is not normally entitled to notice of termination pay or redundancy pay if their employment ends on the expiry date. And the, the rationale here is that the employment isn't actually being terminated, but it's, um, it's ending due to the lapsing of time. And similarly, where there is an employee on a fixed term contract and this contract expires, one of the other implications is they usually cannot bring an unfair dismissal claim. 
although this can obviously be more complicated if they are employed on um, multiple fixed-term contracts. So the practical effect of the, the clause saying the contract will end on a particular day having no effect is that that employee may be entitled to notice of termination pay or redundancy pay if there is a situation that arises um, relating to that, or further, they may be eligible to bring an unfair dismissal claim. The explanatory memorandum um, to the Act has also clarified that a period of service for calculating redundancy pay, so if you do have an employee who's on a two-year fixed-term contract, for example, and then they continue to work another two years past that and that breaches the provisions, um, for the purposes of calculating the service, the explanatory memorandum has clarified that will be the entire contract. So the service will be the entire contract. It won't be from the date of the breach, but that will include the date that the employment commenced. Further as well, um, if an employee does breach these limitations, which we have discussed, it will also constitute a civil remedy provision, which means the employer may be ordered to pay penalties. Yeah, and just thinking about civil civil remedies and enforcement, um, you know, the big scary thing that is also in the closing the loopholes legislation, so not passed yet, but proposed and currently before a Senate inquiry is, um, increased penalties for deliberate wage theft. And um, what is proposed is up to 10 years imprisonment for those individuals in companies that are knowingly involved and are accessories in deliberate, not accidental, but deliberate wage theft. So payroll, HR, CEOs, directors, um, you, you could theoretically go to prison for 10 years for serious but deliberate wage theft. Uh, and I expect those changes are probably going to pass through the Senate next year. So um, just thinking about getting the correct modern awards, payments, audits, all of those things in your organisation will be so, so important um, if those changes pass. Nobody wants to go to prison for 10 years or even one day, really. Um, so... Uh, Anti-avoidance, Pete, is there any creative fancy footwork that employers can do with their written employment contracts? You know, employment lawyers are really good at coming up with crafty ways to lawfully get around certain things, but is that possible with these changes? Yeah, so there are a series of um, anti-avoidance measures, including some quite broad ones, which do apply. Just before I get into them, I might just clarify. So the limitation on fixed-term contracts is on a fixed-term contract being longer than two years, two years or longer, and that includes renewables or extendables. And there is also a prohibition on um, renewing the contract more than once. So you cannot have more than two fixed-term contracts, just to clarify what the limitation is. So there are a range of anti-avoidance um, measures and there are things that an employer um, cannot do or else they will be breaching these rules and they're up there on the screen. So the first is terminating the employee's employment for a period. Then there is delaying re-engaging the employee for a period. So for example, if there are breaks um, in there, there may be a question of whether there is substantial continuity. If you deliberately left a gap um, for the purpose of overcoming and saying, well, no, there was no substantial continuity, um, this would likely fall foul of the anti-avoidance provisions. 
Next is not re-engaging the employee and instead engaging another employee to perform the same or substantially similar work. So if you have someone who's just been employed for under two years and that engagement ends, it will be a breach of the provisions to employ someone else to do the same role as that informer employee if the purpose of that is to get around the changes. Changing the nature of the work or the tasks the employee is required to do. Um, so if an employee is working in a particular role and the duties and responsibilities are tweaked um, for the purpose of making the role look different in an attempt to get around these changes, to, to be able to argue this isn't the same or substantially similar work, um, this will likely fall foul of the provisions. And if that wasn't enough, uh, there is also a broad catch-all um, otherwise altering the employment relationship. So it's important to note under these sections that under the anti-avoidance measures, um, the action only needs to be a reason um, for the action you're taking. It doesn't have to be the sole reason. And the onus to prove that the change was made to avoid the operation will rest with the employee. Therefore, it'll be very important for employers to make contemporaneous documentary evidence when these decisions are being made regarding fixed-term contracts, whether that is changing the role in any way, employing someone else, delaying a re-engagement or terminating the employee's employment, the lawful reasons of that action should be recorded. It's worth clarifying as well, just because someone is on a fixed-term contract, um, they aren't immune from any of those um, prohibitions on the slide. It's just that those reasons um, can't be just to avoid the operation of provisions. Mm. So more adverse action options um, on the horizon with every time there's a workplace right relating to, to any of these sorts of things. Um, there's also new dispute resolution forums to deal with um, this area. Um, so Pete, uh, can you just run us through what these avenues might be for an employee? Sure, so this process is very similar to if there was a Section 739 dispute under a modern award or an enterprise agreement or even quite similar to the new flexible work arrangements. Um, the, the only thing to note is a, the Fair Work Commission can only arbitrate if both parties agree. Um, so some things we may see a dispute about in this area include um, whether there was substantial continuity between fixed term contracts, um, whether the role is for the same or similar work, or for example, whether one of those multiple exceptions, um, many of which are undefined apply. If an employer does not consent to um, an arbitration, it will be open to that employee to bring a claim in one of the federal courts for a breach. And there is also a right for the employee to bring um, a small claim in relation to an alleged breach of the limitations. As Paul noted earlier, um, as Paul noted earlier, sorry, um, the jurisdiction for small claims has now increased from $20,000 to $100,000, which will have an implication in this area. So uh, under the commission process, um, the parties must first attempt uh, to resolve with discussions between themselves. If they cannot, um, one party may refer that to the FWC and the Fair Work Commission can use their usual powers, including mediation, conciliation, making a recommendation or expressing opinion um, to deal with this dispute. And as noted earlier, the Commission cannot arbitrate unless both parties consent. Um, so once again, and as, uh, as mentioned on the previous slide, um, if there is a dispute or there is a claim, it will be very important that employers have evidence as to why certain decisions were made regarding fixed term contracts and also if an exception applies, um, why they are asserting that exception applies. 
So, uh, yeah, I mean, what we're seeing too is with, with all of these amendments to the Fair Work Act, the various different tranches that are, have been passed and the one that's pending is built into all of that are conciliation and arbitration um, avenues, um, which is, you know, good in a way, it's a forum to resolve these matters. But it, what it does mean is that employees are going to be in the Fair Work Commission um, probably in person, because there's a big drive to bring people back into physical courtrooms in the Fair Work Commission um, to try and sort out these disputes. And, um, you know, that's, uh, that's going to be more time and resources for employers to devote to um, dealing with all of those sorts of things. So um, certainly looking like a busy year ahead for us, that's for sure. Um, final things to remember, um, Pete, might be a good time for you just to go through uh, your, the takeaway tips that you've put together on the slide there. Yep, so um, not as much a tip, but just something to remember. So um, the Fair Work Ombudsman has been tasked with preparing a fixed term contract information statement. This will be a very similar document to the ones we already have, the Fair Work Information Statement, the Casual Employment Information Statement. Um, this document will outline the limitations that exist on fixed term contracts, which we discussed before, and also will provide information about the dispute resolution process. This statement will need to be given to employees um, before or as soon as practical after a fixed term contract or a maximum uh, term contract is entered into. And it'll be important for employers um, to include this document in their pre-employment packs as breach will be a civil remedy provision. Um, we are still waiting on the fixed term contract information statement. Not sure when it will be published, but I imagine that will be uh, before these changes come in next week. So just moving to a summary of the key matters we've discussed today. So it will be very important for employers to keep a running record of any fixed term contracts which are currently on foot and contracts which may be on foot in the future to ensure they do not fall foul of the two year rule or the two contract rule. The expiry date should be diarised and any future arrangements should be considered before the expiration of these contracts, such as whether that employee will be offered a permanent position or whether that role is still required. Whilst these changes will apply from 6 December, it's important to make sure any contracts that are on foot um, are included in this document as they will be counted for figuring out whether a subsequent contract may, may fall foul of the changes. If you are entering into a fixed term contract on the view that an exception applies, it will be important for this exception to be outlined in the employment contract and the reasons for asserting so. So for example, if it's covering a temporary absence, including the contract of employment, it's covering a temporary absence and the period of time of that temporary absence, if that is ascertainable. Um, if there are any changes made to an employee's fixed term contract arrangements, make sure the lawful reasons for doing so documented if the employee later alleges it falls foul of the anti-avoidance provisions or the adverse action provisions this will be very important evidence in proving that it was for a lawful reason and it wasn't to avoid the imposition of the changes and um final one from me is that all all template contracts should be reviewed to make sure there are no default clauses on extensions or renewals which may fall foul of the two-year rule or the two contract rule Yep. So I'm hearing um, get get your if you have fixed term employees, it's a good idea to get your fixed term 
employment contract template reviewed in light of um, these changes which commence um, very soon. Um, and I think also from me, I think the bottom line is not to sort of overly stress about these very technical and overly prescriptive um, changes. In many cases, employers use fixed term contracts uh, out of a, a concern that um, they want to be able to end someone's employment if they're not working out and they don't want to be subject to the unfair dismissal jurisdiction if um, perhaps, you know, 13, 14 months after employment, they want to terminate the employment of people. Um, it's still obviously and always will be lawful and permissible to terminate the employment of employees for performance and conduct reasons, whether they're permanent uh, or fixed terms. So what we encourage our clients to do is get early uh, and proactive advice about how to manage those situations. Um, we advise people all day, every day on determination of employment. And there's a very small number of uh, employers that um, have employees that can test those decisions if uh, appropriate advice is sought and thought goes into it. So if you're thinking, well, we're going to have to make all these people permanent, there's obviously, you know, there's a solution to that which involves the management of performance and conduct, the use of probationary periods, um, and all those sorts of things as well. Um, well, that brings us to the end of our presentation. We do have a lot of questions that have come through. And I noticed, um, Pete, I might ask you one question that's replicated in a number of them, which is, is around temporary absences. So, for example, parental leave replacements. Yeah. I'm, ex I'm assuming that's an exemption from from this yeah so that that would fall within the temporary absence example if that's someone covering a period of parental leave yeah that's precisely what that um that exception is capture um intended to capture yep yep um and a lot of the other questions that have come through are all very specific to the particular facts of um the employer so rather than go through them uh don't worry we'll respond to you individually uh, in the next day or so uh, with your question. We'll send you an email about it unless you've um, advised us that you don't want to be contacted um, and we'll answer your question um, for you um, personally. Um, so that brings us to the end of our session today. Pete, thanks for that um, analysis, which is um, really fantastic in, in an area that I must say, I found really, really confusing to get my head around it, but I think some of the some of the flow charts in the slides are actually really helpful. Um, so I do hope you can all join us for our final um, IR Insights webinar for the year on the 13th of December, where myself and my other employment partner colleagues from Adelaide, Nick Linky, and from Sydney, uh, Ruth Knocker will um, talk to you about our top tips of uh, what we expect will be the big employment law issues uh, next year, not necessarily including these fair work changes, but just the other things, the, the trends that we're seeing 
in, in the, the workforce, the sorts of issues that we've seen come through over the past 12 months, which are endlessly fascinating, often highly um, stressful, um, but always interesting. So we look forward to talking to you about that in the next two weeks. So thank you everybody for joining and um, I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks a lot.